Today is, in fact, the day the Lord has made, and these are the times in which God has decided we will live. We have unique sets of responsibilities given the times through which we live. One of them is conversation with people who have skills you don't and backgrounds you don't. I'm joined by Dr. Michael Gillen. He is uh, no one better to talk about things we're going to talk about. Former ABC News science editor, three-time Emmy Award winner, uh, Michael Gillen, Ph.D., Dr. Welcome to the Todd Herman Show. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Todd. Looking forward to our discussion. Thank you so much, my brother. Uh, thank you. And, and uh, we'll talk about that phrase, my brother. You had a fascinating um, conversion story. Science led you to God. Love to talk about that. Let me start with this. Um, when I get, I get concerned when people say things like this to me, um, they will say things like, I trust the science or the science mm-hmm. says, or um, I trust the scientists. Can, can you help me unpack how we can communicate to people what science actually is, the process of science? Absolutely. Todd, first of all, there is no such thing as saying, uh, you know, the science or the scientist. There's a plurality, even within the scientific community at all times, under all circumstances, no matter what the topic might be, um, there's always a plurality of opinions. Now, yes, there is almost always a consensus, but over the history of science, and uh, you know, my PhD is in physics, math, and astronomy, but I'm also a keen student in the history of science. I've written books about the history of science. One of the very important lessons we learn from the history of science is the consensus uh, is oftentimes very, very, very wrong. And, you know, we don't have the time to get into all the examples of that, but I've written about them uh, over the years. So when somebody says things like that, Todd, uh, maybe they mean well, but they just don't understand science. I often often hear the expression, the science is settled. Well, it never is. Uh, Or science is real. Well, of course it's real, but what does that mean? So right. uh, here's, here's one more thing along this train of thought, and that is you'll often hear the expression, well, you know, I, I champion evidence-based thinking. Well, I do too. But here's the problem with evidence-based thinking. Yes, it needs to be thinking based on the best available evidence. But the problem is that if you put that very same evidence in front of 10 scientists, you're going to get 10 different interpretations of that evidence. So there's no such thing as one interpretation of the evidence. Uh, There's no such thing as the science or follow the science. Science is not a yellow brick road. There is never one path forward. There are always a multiplicity of paths. And as a scientist, we always have to be careful about, okay, which path do I choose to take? But even equally qualified, equally brilliant scientists can go different ways. And people need to keep that in mind. And I I love what you're saying, because I've tried to remind people that science is also a process. There is a way we come about things that you have an observation that can cause you to have a suspicion that can cause you to create then a thesis, which you undertake trying to disprove. And, And this goes to scientific rigor. You said something I think is really key, that there are always um, points of view and different points of view. I've been, as a media person, uh, Dr. Gillen, I've been concerned in an unnatural 
natural alignment on some things. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I talked with um, uh, with Martin Koldorf. He is a Ph.D. He's been a 20 year epidemiologist at uh, at Harvard University, a non-controversial guy. He happens to be a European socialist. Very nice man. And we were talking about the media's coverage of COVID-19 and the use of the phrase cases. And it is Martin's contention that a case used to mean that a person was confirmed to have an illness and that a case then became this empty phrase. And and it meant anything from a positive PCR test to a suspicion that you know someone had a, a fever, et cetera, self-reported. Um, in your position, having worked in media, such an interesting position, what responsibility do science editors have to ask questions about, wait a minute, you said case, what does that mean? Does that mean someone's sick? Is it a lab-confirmed virus? What responsibility do science reporters have to ask skeptical questions like that? That's a great question, Todd. But here is a sad fact, uh, because I've been a journalist for decades as well and uh, worked my way up from print uh, to network television and so forth. And uh, this is what I have discovered. Um, and I'm just going to be very honest with you. Uh, and that is most reporters, and by most, I mean like 99% plus of all the reporters out there are just blatantly scientifically illiterate. There's no other kinder way to put it. It's just a fact. I've seen it. I work, I still work shoulder to shoulder with these folks, and I'm appalled at what passes for science reporting. Uh, I was the science editor at ABC News. I had the authority, not uh, I, I had the, the privilege of not being not only being on the air, I was the face of science on ABC News. I did Good Morning America, I did Nightline, I did 2020, I did World News Tonight. But behind the scenes, I also was given the authority to vet scientific stories. So we would be pitched, as you, as you know, of being in the media, you're, every day you're pitched stories of all kinds from all directions. And what one of my responsibilities as science editor, and I took it very seriously, I still do, is to know the actors. I know the, the doctor you're referring to, the Harvard doctor, for example. It's my business to know these people. Uh, and I know their track record. I know their record of credibility or lack thereof. I know, for example, Anthony Fauci. I've interviewed him for Nightline, so I know him quite well. I know his background. Um, and so that is part of the problem, Todd, is that the media now has so much power to amplify either the right voices or the wrong voices. And so oftentimes... Even in my 14 years at ABC News, and this is no slam on ABC News in particular. This goes on in every organization, whether it's the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, whatever. When it comes to selecting the people you want to interview for your story, you're already spinning the story. Okay, you're by by that very selection of the voices. Do you want to you do you want to invite somebody like your Harvard uh, uh, professor or do you want to invite somebody like uh, Fauci or do you want to invite somebody else, maybe from Stanford or from Yale? Already that selection prejudices the story. And then it's where you place those, those voices. Do you begin your report with them? Do you end your report with them? What kind of emphasis do you give them? How much time do you give them? So what's going on right now, what we're seeing really, look, 
I'm old enough to know that once upon a time when I was a kid, the only thing that was politicized was politics. <laughs> yeah. But then over the course of my lifetime, I saw, well, now that politicization in, in infected sports and infected entertainment, infected religion. And, but I always thought to myself, Todd, it's ne- the barbarians are never going to get to the gates of science because I always have thought science was this fortress, this fortress of truth that could not be penetrated by the people who wish to politicize everything else. Well, during the last five years or or so, um, I've seen that happen, much to my sugar. I'm appalled now at what has happened to my beautiful, beloved, sacred science. It has been thoroughly politicized, and so now it makes the situation even that much more confusing for the average person. And that's why I... I take very seriously my responsibility. My loyal followers know that when they come to me for information, I am an oasis of objectivity and truth. I take that very seriously as a scientist and as a reporter. So I don't get involved in politics. I will give you the information that you need, and then you can go make up your mind, whatever it is, wherever you fall down on a subject, whether it's on vaccinations or masks or how to handle the pandemics and so forth. I'll give you the raw information, the raw facts, but I myself will not get involved in politics or policy precisely because I am, I, I'm just appalled at how politicized science has become. Uh, and I appreciate you saying that because that's you know it, uh, politics belongs in politics, and I don't believe politics yeah. belongs anywhere else. Michael Gillen's with us. He's a PhD and a doctor, former ABC News science editor. I want to ask you about the uh, shutting down of these some views. I think that there is a view unanimous imposed by what I call the party. Not to be political with you, because I'm going to go back to medicine. We're going to talk about healthcare and people speaking out with points of view who found themselves in the backwater of the science world. All of the sudden, we'll do that after we check traffic with right-way traffic. Dr. Michael Gillen is with us, Ph.D., three-time Emmy Award winner, former ABC News science editor, appalled as I am by the politicization of science. Let me let me present this scenario to you, doctor. Um, you have heard of, I'm certain, given that it's your business to know, um, Geert van den Bosch. Um, Geert is a researcher. He's worked with GSK, Novartis, um, the Solvay Biologicals, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, he's a board certified in virology, microbiology, 30 publications to his name, a bunch of patents for or a patent for a universal vaccine. Bosch warns uh, in, I think it was March of this year, that we would begin to see um, leaky vaccines effectively. We begin to see ADE antibody enhanced or AED antibody enhanced. uh, I'm not saying that the right way. Antibody dependent enhancements. We've seen now in Israel, we've seen Dr. Uh, Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC, say, hey, we're seeing trends like this in Israel. Bosch was not, he was, no one went to this man given his expertise. No one went to Michael Yearden given his expertise. They couldn't get on TV. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Koldorf with the, uh, with the Great Barrington Declaration. He couldn't get on TV. That voice was not heard. You tell me, am I observing a media behavior where it seems that reporters and others in media chose one view, which is lockdown, mask, don't talk about the age stratification of COVID? 
The short answer, the short, sad answer, uh, Todd, is yes. And it goes back to what I said just before the break, and that is that in the media we have the power uh, to select the voices we want to amplify. And it comes down really to the choice of the reporter, the choice of the reporter's producer, the booking uh, person, uh, or the executive producer of a show, it comes down to their favorites. They have their little Rolodex, so to speak, the pe- their go-to people. I, I, when I was at ABC News, I did, I had my go-to people. If there was an issue about climate or or uh, hurricanes or or whatever, I had my go-to people. But I always, and I still do, I always try to give a balanced point of view because I do not want to dictate to people how they should think. So if there was an issue, for example, about climate change, I had a, I had a person at MIT who, who kind of uh, minimized uh, the role of humans in climate change. But then I also knew Michael Mann, who uh, tended to, to talk uh, in favor of our having a great deal of responsibility with climate change. I don't feel it's my role as a scientist or as a reporter to narrow... Uh, someone's perspective on a very complicated problem. Just the opposite. I feel it's my responsibility to inform people of just how complicated thing uh, a, a thing is, a, a subject might be. And so I like to give them uh, all the, the all the relevant perspectives, and I still do. And so I feel it's uh, the media is doing enormous disservice by only putting on the very same people over and over and over again. And then you don't hear voices from Stanford, Yale, Harvard, all the elite universities who may have a a different point of view. I think it's a total disservice, and I think it's led to a lot of hysteria, unnecessary hysteria. Um, And and I don't know if it's going to change, Todd. That's what breaks my heart. I don't know if it's going to change. And that's been, to be frank with you, that's been one of the reasons our show has done so well, um, that and and getting to fill in for Rush Limbaugh for about, you know, six years, God rest Rush. Um, And so we've done well that way. But I would say this, Dr. Gillen, as well, that um, here's what I find enormously alarming is so Vanden Bosch makes this statement and this prediction. He is not just. Not just colored as a conspiracy theorist, you are banned from social media for posting his stuff. Or Michael Yeadon was the VP of research for Pfizer. He has enormous concerns about the cytotoxicity of the spike protein in people's bodies. He pitched media stories. I would think that when Pfizer is now approved by the FDA, with somehow done with, with, uh, with no control group, uh, no tests on pregnant women, and no tests on fetal development, I would think... That a even a curious reporter would say, "What about this Yeadon guy? He was talking about this early on." That 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 chills me, Doctor Gillen. Now you're talking cancel culture, and it chills me as well because cancel culture is many things, but above all, in my own mind, it is completely anti-scientific. Why? Because in science, the scientific method um, champions creating a climate in which. All of us scientists can exchange ideas and maybe even have a fierce exchange ideas. It, it's not always polite. You know, <laughs> the public might have the impression that we scientists are all very polite, you know, uh, gentle, uh, gentlemen and gentlewomen. That's not the case. It can get, the dogfights can get pretty ugly. But nevertheless, um, science depends on these kinds of free, this, this free exchange of ideas, free and fierce exchange of ideas. Yeah, let me put it another way. 
disagreements are the bread and butter of science. Without them, science would stagnate. It would cease to move forward. It's through disagreements. It's through open and honest and fair-minded disagreements that we tease out the truth. Now, if you start canceling voices, that's where science gets into trouble, and it's happened in the past. Uh, I don't have time to get you an examples, but I've written a new book I think you're going to mention in a minute where I give examples of where, you know, even scientists themselves have violated the spirit of the scientific method and started canceling voices. This is where the consensus becomes a bully and just starts just bullying people and shutting down voices and much to their regret. I mean, they did that to Albert Einstein. When he first came out with the special theory of relativity, they shut him down. They called it Jewish physics, and they, and they basically canceled the guy. And so we can't we cancel today's cancel culture of the sorts that you're talking about, Todd, where where credible voices, legitimate voices are canceled. They're either banned from social media or they're not put on network television. That only puts us backwards. But here's the good news, Todd. Here's the good news. Okay. The good news is, and I tell this to people all the time, do your homework. Don't even just listen to me. Don't make the mistake of just listening to me. Listen to what I have to say. By all means, you can trust me. I will give you the, the straight poop. I will be as honest with you as I can. I will give you facts. But do your homework. That's my mantra. Do your homework. That's what I'm telling your listeners right now. And the good news is because this very same social media that is shutting down voices, if you work hard enough, you will find these various voices that you're speaking about that are never given the light of day that are never given their proper hearing. And so if people that Todd, really, that is the only uh, uh, antidote to 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 the problem that we are discussing today. OK, that is the only antidote. Do your homework. Yep. We talk about that a lot in the show. So uh, Mike Gillen's book, I believe this is the new book because I don't have it in my email, but it's uh, Believing is Seeing. A physicist explains how science shattered his atheism and revealed the necessity of his faith. Is that the book we're promoting today? Yeah, it is. And you know what? Uh, it comes out September 7th. But here I just found out it is the number one, not two, three. <laughs> it is the number one Amazon yes. hot new release All right. in, in, in science and religion. And, and I also I just found out I'm, uh, the book is up for two major book awards. But here's the point. It's not only a book about my journey from atheism, because, yes, when I went into grad school at Cornell and got my Ph.D. in physics, math, and astronomy, I was a dyed-in-the-wool atheist. I was a scientific monk. I slept about three hours a day. The rest of the time, I was in my basement lab or in the classroom learning about science, okay? Yeah. But then various things happen, and we don't have the time, but the book explains what happened. What exactly happened to this scientific monk, you know? and. Right. Uh, and then I went through all the religions. I explored all the world's major religions. And then finally, a, a beautiful girl came into my life. You can't make this stuff up, Todd. This is the truth. And I explain it in the book. But this beautiful girl came into my life unexpectedly at Cornell and, and, and said something to me. And I'm not going to tell you what it was, but she said something to me that was a game changer. And that ultimately led me to Christianity. And what I found was that of all the major religions, Christianity squares best with my beloved science. So that's that part, that, it, that the book is part of that, my journey. But I also salt it with my anecdotes from my days at ABC News. And even now, I've been to the North Pole, the South Pole. I've been to the bottom of the Atlantic, almost lost my life at the Titanic. I've, I'm the only correspondent ever to report from the Titanic. So it's full of that. 
And then I also talk about oh things goodness. like we're talking about, cancel culture and feelings over facts and all that sort of thing. So I want to encourage your listeners to go out and buy a book. It's a, it's a book for the times. So let me do the one better. Um, text Todd, T-O-D-D, <laughs> to 800-465-8770. Alex will send you a link uh, to the doctor's book on bookshop.org. It's called uh, Believing is Seeing. Enormously fun conversation with Dr. Michael Gillen, Ph.D. I do hope to have you back at some time to talk um, through the, the signature in the cell approach to this intelligent design. Dr. Stephen Meyer, I'm sure you know him. It's been an honor yeah. to have you, and I will just tell you uh, – with renewed vigor, thank you for defending the scientific process and go with God's good grace. Thank you, Todd. God bless you.